Uh, as I mentioned, we're in Hebrews. Uh, this is the third week uh, that we uh, have been in uh, the book or the letter of Hebrews. Uh, and I've mentioned this a few weeks ago, but this is a first time for me. Uh, I've read through Hebrews pretty casually in the past. I'm pretty familiar with, the, I guess, the general storyline and some of the characters and uh, some of the really powerful verses. Uh, but for me, uh, over these past few weeks, past few months, and studying and kind of prepping, like, I just absolutely am loving Hebrews. Uh, I love that it's really hard. Uh, I love that it's just, as I read and study and pray and, and dive in, I've got more questions than answers. I love that it's complex. I love that there's so much about the Old Testament that Hebrews is speaking to. Uh, so a lot of things that I love about it, but one of the things that I did not know that I loved about it that I'm learning uh, is the author. I have no idea, uh, we have no idea who actually wrote, who penned uh, the book or the letter of Hebrews, but I'm only three chapters in now, and one of the things that I would say about the author that I never knew before is whoever wrote this book had an incredible heart uh, for the people that he was writing to. Uh, he had a genuine care, a genuine concern for them. Uh, you get that in letters. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't write letters. Uh, Kyla probably gets a letter from me maybe once a year. Uh, we're just more of the mindset of tweeting and Facebooking and instant messaging and Instagramming. And, uh, and that's not necessarily bad or wrong, but you can't capture someone's heart in a tweet. You can't capture someone's heart for you in a Facebook status update. But when you read someone's letter, uh, a letter written for you, you could really begin to capture what their heart is for you. And what I love about the author of Hebrews is he really has a heart for the men and the women, the community that they're writing to. He has a heart that he wants them to really know and see and understand who Jesus is and what Jesus is like. He really wants them to know that. And I guess one of the newer things that I'm seeing is he's not just caring and concerned about like their current circumstance or situation. He really cares about their future. He has in mind as he's writing this letter of not just what their immediate need is, but what their next months and next years and decades would be. Uh, if you're new to Genesis, um, we're barely five years old as a church. We're a really young church, and I don't mean demographically, but it would be easy if you're new to walk in and be like, gosh, it seems like this church has been around for a while, but we haven't been. Uh, we've only been around for five plus years, September uh, September 1, 2009. Uh, and as I think about Genesis, my biggest care, my biggest concern is not what happens tomorrow or next week or next month or even this coming year. My, my heart, my concern for all of us, for my, what would we be like in 50 years? Like, what will we be like as a church 50 years from now? Now, to be honest with you, I hope I'm in heaven 50 years from now, but I hope Genesis, the church, is still going strong. I hope that Genesis, it would be said of Genesis that they're still faithful. I have no idea what the culture around us will look like 50 years from now. I know what it looks like now, and I know the challenges we face now, but I'm, I, I would pray that 50 years from now, it would be said of this church that they are still relentlessly faithful to Jesus, that Jesus hasn't just become some like mythical, spiritual you know, guru that we look to for sage wisdom, or that like the Bible is just somehow full of great stories that make the heart feel good, I, I hope 50 years from now, they would be said of us, and hopefully some of you might still be here. Uh, it would be said of the church 50 years from now, this is a community that is still faithful 
to, to Jesus, still faithful to God. Now, I bring that up because I, I don't know the author who wrote the book, but what I'm learning about the author is he was very familiar uh, with Jewish history. He was very familiar with Old Testament. Uh, and he knew very well that it is very possible for a people who would see God do amazing things, mind-blowing, heart-blowing things. He knows that it's possible for a community of men and women to see God do amazing things, but yet still walk away from God. He knows by looking at the the history of um, the Old Testament, the nation of Israel, that they could see God do amazing things, but yet they still walked away from God. They were not faithful to the God who was very faithful to them. Now, in five years, I feel like our church has seen God do amazing things. I have story after story after story of God do amazing things, but I'm also very mindful, I'm also very aware that despite us seeing God do amazing things, it's still very possible that we could become uh, faithless. It's possible that we as a church could become one of those that would just lose faith. Now, I'm not uh, an expert in, in church history, but I know enough about church history that there were many churches, there's many denominations that started well, that started strong, but over the years, they've wandered and wandered and wandered where they've just completely lost faith in Jesus, and they've put their faith in lesser things, in other things. And so as we're going to look this morning at Hebrews chapter 3, what's of most concern to the author in this chapter is, will this be a community that will remain faithful. And so the one question that I want to ask this morning in Hebrews chapter 3 is, how will we remain faithful to Jesus? That's the question that is going to get brought up in in Hebrews chapter 3. How will we remain faithful, not just as a person, but as a people? Uh, How will we as individuals remain faithful to Jesus? And how will we as a people, meaning a community, what would it look like for us to actually remain faithful? And so I just, my heart for all of you, and even though I don't know all of you, my heart is that you would know the faithfulness of God, and knowing the faithfulness of God would spur you on to just growing and increasing faithfulness in your life. But I also know you can see God do amazing things and yet still be very unfaithful. Uh, So that's the question I, I want to ask and hopefully answer today is, how will we remain faithful to Jesus? What would that actually look like for us to be faithful? I'm going to share with you three things. Uh, The first thing, I encourage you to write this down. Number one is, well, we would keep Jesus at the center of all things all the time. That at the center of our community, at the center of our lives, at the core of who we are, at the center would be Jesus, center of all things all the time. Hebrews chapter 3 verse 1 says, Therefore, dear brothers and sisters who belong to God and are partners with those called to heaven. Okay, Dear brothers and sisters who belong to God and are partners with those who are called to heaven, think, all caps, think carefully about this Jesus whom we declare to be God's messenger and high priest. Now, isn't it a bit odd? Why would the author need to write to a brothers and sisters, the family of God, the community of God, and why would, be the, why, why would he have to tell them, hey, you need to think, think carefully about this Jesus? Think carefully, think clearly about Jesus as God's messenger. He is the messenger and message himself and high priest. Why would the author tell us, think carefully about this Jesus? Why is it necessary? And I wrote it down in my journal like this. Well, when Jesus starts to cause problems in your life, you'll begin thinking thoughts like, is he really worth it? Uh, 
when it gets difficult to be a Christian, uh, when it gets challenging to be a Christian in the culture that we live in, when there's a hint, a sniff of persecution, when there's a hint, a a taste of, of feel of suffering, one of the first questions, if not the first question that we start to ask Gosh, I had it so much easier when Jesus was not in my life because I could just do whatever I wanted. And if we're not thinking correctly, if we're not thinking carefully about this Jesus whom we declare as God's apostle, God's messenger, God's sent one, and God's high priest. And again, I know the language of priest might seem odd or foreign, but a priest is just someone who helps us, someone who is able to come alongside where we are and help us. So if we're not thinking rightly about who Jesus is, when things get challenging, and they will, we'll begin asking questions as, I'm just not sure it's worth it anymore. I'm not sure it's worth it anymore. Do you have any examples in your life of men and women who, over the years, uh, have just been faithful? Uh, They've just been faithful to God. Uh, They have stories of God just doing some pretty awesome things, but as you consider their example. Uh, Because we all need examples in our life. We need examples that we can say, you know what? I've seen that person. I've seen that man, that woman, that couple. I've seen them be faithful. So do you have an example of someone who just has modeled for you faithfulness? They, they, They heard from God. They listened to God. They walked with God. They are just faithful to God. Now, for me, I have a pretty long list of people. But at the top of the list is my mom and my dad. I mean, top of the list. Uh, my parents are in their mid-70s now, and they've been married for over 50 years. They've modeled for me faithfulness in the home, going through their share of, of hard things and trials and tribulations. But 50 years later, they're still loving each other. They're still walking with God. They've been Christians for over 40 years. And in 40 years, they have stories and testimonies of God just doing amazing things. Uh, but I look at my mom and my dad as they've been so ridiculously faithful. You don't even know them, but they know you. They know you because I talk about you. They know and they pray for Genesis every single day. They pray for me and Kyla and our marriage and our friendship every single day. They pray for their 21 grandkids every single day. They have modeled for me, they've modeled for Kyla what faithfulness to God looks like. So I can look to them as, in a, as a good example. I'm not saying they're perfect, but they're a good example of faithfulness. Now, the author of Hebrews, if he were to ask his community uh, 2,000 years ago and say, hey, do you have any examples of people who have been faithful in your life? There would have been one name that would have been at the top of the list for every single person, Moses. And I know that seems odd and foreign to us, but if your spirit, if you're living in the first century, coming out of Judaism into Christianity, your spiritual hero, your spiritual mentor, the one that you look to as the epitome of faithfulness is Moses. And so what the author of Hebrews does is he wants us to see that Jesus is our best example of faithfulness. And he goes on in chapter uh, 3, verse 2, uh, all the way through verse 6, he says this, For he was faithful to God. He's talking about Jesus. He was faithful to God who appointed him just as Moses served faithfully when he was entrusted with God's entire house. So he's making a bridge here. He's like, Jesus was absolutely faithful. And if you need a picture of faithfulness, just like Moses was faithful. But it goes on, verse uh, 3, but Jesus deserves far 
uh, more glory than Moses, just as a person who builds a house deserves more praise than the house itself. For every house has a builder, but the one who built everything is God. Moses was certainly faithful in God's house as a servant. His work was an illustration of the truths God would reveal later. But Christ, but Jesus, as the son in charge of God's entire house, and we are God's house if we keep our courage and remain confident in the hope we have in Christ. So again, that's a lot of verses there, but what I wanted you to catch is the author wants us to see, you know Moses to be this incredible example of faithfulness, but Jesus is even more faithful. You know that Moses has done some phenomenal things, and again, he was a spiritual giant, a spiritual hero. This is what um, uh, Numbers and then Exodus say about Moses. Chapter 12, if there were prophets among you, I, the Lord, would reveal myself in visions. I would speak to them in dreams, but not with my servant Moses. Of all my house, he is the one I trust. I speak to him face to face, clearly, and not in riddles. He sees the Lord as he is. Isn't that amazing? That's what God is saying of Moses. He's like nobody else. I trust him. He's been faithful. I don't talk to him in riddles and dreams and visions. I speak to him as a man speaks face to face. It goes on in Exodus uh, towards the end of his life, Moses' life. Since then, no prophet has risen in Israel like Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face, who did all those signs and wonders the Lord sent him to do in Egypt, to Pharaoh and to all his officials and his whole land. For no one has ever shown the mighty power or performed the awesome deeds that Moses did in the sight of all Israel. So again, he's affirming, he's recognizing that Moses is a great example, not just for them, but for us. But Jesus is even greater. The example that we have, the example that we look to, and hopefully we have people in our lives that we can see, but greater than any example that we could possibly have of what faithfulness actually looks like would be Jesus. Moses was a servant in God's house, but it says Jesus was the son of God. He was built God's house. So Jesus is greater. And then, at the again, if you read verse 6 in chapter uh, 3, and we are God's house if we keep our courage, remain confident in our hope in Christ. And so, again, the author is just saying, your hope, if you're going to be faithful, your hope has to be in Christ, in Christ alone. So when I use the language of uh, being faithful, we keep Jesus at the center of all things all the time, this is now going to ask the question, uh, what is our hope? What is the hope that we look to? What is at the center? Uh, Here's the question. Is there something or someone other than Jesus that you are confidently look towards to give you hope? Again, it would be easy in the Old Testament to look back to Moses. He was at the center. He was the one that we look to, but the authors say, no, Jesus is greater. And so the question for us, I'm I'm safe to say none of us are going to look to Moses for hope, but... What do we look to, something or someone other than Jesus, uh, what do we look towards for hope? Here's what I wrote down in my journal. This could be a relationship with a spouse, husband, wife, family, kids, boyfriend, girlfriend, career, money, achievement, recognition, social standing, approval, competence, security, looks, beauty, brain, success, spirituality, morality. What is the center of what we're looking to to find hope? And if it's not Jesus, then it's something less, and we will not be able to be faithful to Jesus if he alone is not at the center. So this is a really hard question. 
what is at the center? What is at the center of you? Uh, in a great book Tim Keller wrote uh, called Counterfeit Gods, uh, in helping to identify often what is at the center, he said this, a counterfeit God is anything so central and essential to your life that should you lose it, your life would feel hardly worth living. An idol is whatever you look at and say in your heart of hearts, well, if I have that, then I'll feel my life has meaning. Then I'll know I have value. Then I'll feel significant and secure. So what's at the center? What is that thing, that something or someone that we look to for hope? Now, what I love about what the author of Hebrews goes on to do in chapter 3 is he says, listen, if Jesus is not at the center, it's not going to go well for you. There are consequences to putting something other than someone other than Jesus at the center of your life. He goes on in, in Hebrews chapter 3, uh, verse 7 through 11. It says, that is why the Holy Spirit says, today, when you hear his voice, don't harden your hearts as Israel did when they rebelled, when they tested me in the wilderness. There your ancestors tested and tried my patience, even though they saw my miracles for 40 years. And I was angry with them, and I said, their hearts always turn away from me. They refuse to do what I tell them. So in my anger, I took an oath. They will never enter my place of rest. Now, again, there's a lot in those few verses, but what the author of Hebrews is saying, he's actually uh, quoting uh, from Psalm 95, what the author is saying, if anything other than Jesus is at the center, hardened heart, rebellion against God, always testing God, hearts turn from God, continual disobedience. Ultimately, all of this equals us missing God and the promises that God has for us. What's amazing is you consider uh, the people of Israel, everything that they saw God do, and their story is just rich with examples of God doing amazing and powerful things, but yet they, they didn't want God at the center of who they were. They didn't want God at the core of their community, and thus their hearts grew hard. They rebelled. They walked. They became faithless. Now, let me ask this question. Have you ever considered the example of the Israelites and thought to yourself, man, how could they possibly miss it? How is it possible that they could see everything that they got to see? God do all the miracles in Egypt that they got to see. God do all the things like the Red Sea. Got to see amazing things time and time again. Have you ever thought to yourself, gosh, if that was me, I would totally be faithful. How could I possibly see all of that firsthand, eyewitness, and yet not be faithful to God? I've thought that. To be honest with you, I thought, oh my goodness, if I saw all of what they saw, but then I have a follow-up question, and this is obviously maybe uh, rhetorical. I wonder if the people back then would say to us, gosh, if we got to see everything that you got to see, if we got to see the Son of God come, if we got to see and hear all that the Son of God did and accomplished in his life and his death and his resurrection, we would absolutely be faithful to him with all things all the time. Why is it that we know that God is not only God, he's God who's good, who's real, who's powerful, who's loving, who's caring, who has great concern for each of you, who meets each of us exactly where we are. We know that God has been revealed to us as faithful. We know the example of faithfulness is Jesus, but yet at the center 
we often drift from, ah, that seems so much more appealing. That seems so much easier. If you and I would be faithful to God today, tomorrow, next week, next year, then it begins, it starts with keeping Jesus at the center of all things all of the time. Um, Charles Spurgeon, in one of his sermons, said it really well. He said, keep your eye simply on him. Let his death, his suffering, his merits, his glories, his intercession be fresh upon your mind. And when you wake in the morning, look to him. When you lie down at night, look to him. Oh, let not your hopes or fears come between you and Jesus. Follow hard after him, and he will never fail you. How could I possibly give something else center in my life rather than the one who I know could never possibly fail, who will always be faithful? So faithfulness looks like us keeping Jesus at the center of all things all of the time. The second thing I'd share with you from Hebrews chapter 3 is this, uh, regarding faithfulness. How do we remain faithful? What does that look like? Uh, number two is we guard our hearts from all that would turn us away from him. We guard our hearts from all that would turn us away from him. Hebrews 3.12, be careful then, dear brothers and sisters, make sure that your own hearts are not evil and unbelieving, turning you away from the living God. I was a swimmer growing up, and swimmers don't really know how to have any other gainful employment outside of lifeguarding, and so I was a lifeguard every summer, and, uh, uh, and just that's what I did every summer. Uh, and there was this one kid at the country club uh, who was just, he was a good kid, he was just crazy. I mean, you're always having to warn him over and over and over again, don't do that, stop running, slow down, don't hold that person underwater, that's not good. Like, you're always having to tell, there's this one kid. Uh, and he would always mess around. Uh, we had a one meter and a three meter. Uh, and we'd always be messing around on the three meter. We're like, don't mess around on the three meter, because if you fall off, it's not going to go well for you. And I remember, and this kid had been warned over and over and over again. And I was sitting in my office uh, at the club, and I could hear the screams of people uh, when he fell from the three meter backwards onto the concrete floor. And I just remember walking up to this kid um, and, you know, my heart wasn't like, dude, I told you. I warned you. <laughs> I told you this was going to happen. Uh, my heart broke for that kid. Uh, thankfully, he's fine and doing well, but, man, he, he was a mess. Head, it was a mess. But yet he was warned over and over, don't do that, don't do that. And what I love in Hebrews chapter 3, verse 12, is you see the heart of the author that he has for these people. I love you enough to warn you. I love you enough to tell you. He says again, let me read verse 12. Be careful then, dear brothers and sisters, make sure that your own hearts are not evil and unbelieving, turning you away from the living God. He loved them enough to tell them, let's, let's do some heart examination. Be very careful. I am warning you. He says, examine your heart at any evil, any unbelieving. It's going to turn you away from God. Do you ever uh, drive and you begin to fall asleep? And at the first, you know, you're like, okay, um, kind of shake it off, turn the AC on, roll the window down, drink some more Diet Pepsi. And you're like, I'll totally be good. And then like five minutes down the road, you're like, man, I'm losing. I should probably pull over and stop. But there's something in you, that little 
voice that says, you'll be fine. Keep going. You need to get there, so if you stopped, you won't, so keep going. And I liken that, and I've listened to that voice, and by the grace of God have not caused damage, but that little voice that tells me, you'll be fine. Roll the window down, do something to make, you'll be fine, is that same voice that we often hear and buy into when it comes to the deceitfulness of sin. It's not a big deal. It's not a big deal. Keep going. It's not hurting. It's not harming you, and it's certainly not hurting or harming anyone else. It's not a big deal. Just keep going. Keep moving forward. John Owen, a Puritan pastor, uh, wrote a challenging, great, powerful book, um, and he said this, the deceitfulness of sin is seen in that it is modest in its first proposals, but when it prevails, it hardens men's hearts, and it brings them to ruin. And it's kind of like you don't listen to that voice that's telling you, pull over, pull over, pull over. You're going to cause incredible damage to yourself and incredible damage to other people if you don't listen to the voice. And sin is so deceptive. And what the author of Hebrews loves the people enough to say and loves us enough to put is pull over. The deceitfulness, you're listening to that voice saying it's, it's not a big deal, it's okay. The author says it's time to examine your heart. You ever sit in church sometimes, and uh, whether it's me or someone else who's preaching, and you're like, oh, dang, I so wish my husband was here. I so wish my wife was here. I so wish my neighbor was here. They need to hear exactly what's being said right now. And you take the message, and you're like, it's so not for me. It's so for that person. Oh, you're texting them like, get to church now. Well, in this moment, I don't want you to do that because this is for you. This is for me because this is... This is really challenging to examine your own heart, to say, God, is there something within me that's deceiving me right now? Is there something that I'm hiding? Is there something that I'm treasuring? Is there something that I'm just not letting go that consequently, it's actually taking me further and further and further away from faithfulness to you? Because I won't let this go. Because I'm I'm harboring whatever it might be for you, whether it's just anger whether it's hurt, whether it's unbelief, whether it's discontent or jealousy or pride or lust or envy or distrust, is there something in your heart that is ultimately keeping you away from experiencing faithfulness to God and experiencing just the beauty of who God is? If we don't examine our own hearts and look, is there evil in here? Is there darkness? Is there sin? Is there hard-heartedness? We'll go further and further and further away, and we'll experience faithfulness to God. Uh, the Apostle Paul, uh, when he was writing his letter to the Corinthians, he was very mindful that the Corinthians church needed to learn from the example of those who had gone before them, namely the nation of Israel. And he says this in chapter 10, uh, I don't want you to forget, dear brothers and sisters, about our ancestors in the wilderness long ago, reference to uh, the men and women of the Exodus. These things happened as a warning to us so that we would not crave evil things as they did or worship idols as some of them did. These things happened to them as examples for us. They were written down to warn us who live at the end of the age, us, if you think you are standing strong, be careful that you do not fall. 
it's so easy for us to say, I'm standing okay. I'm doing fine. This little thing is not tripping me up. This little thing I've been carrying with me for however long. But the author loves you enough to write down in this letter, be careful then, dear brothers and sisters, make sure that your own hearts are not evil and unbelieving, turning you away from the living God. Now what's really encouraging to me uh, is because God is faithful. When I bring whatever that is in my heart to him, you know what he meets me with? He meets me with grace. Hey, Michael, I love you and I forgive you. It's the great exchange of, God, I'm going to give you this thing. It's dark, it's ugly, it's embarrassing, it's shameful, it's all of these things and more. I'm, I'm just, I'm done hiding that, I'm done ignoring that, I'm done acting like that's not there. It's, God, I just, I give it to you. And God says, well, the great exchange is I give you my grace. Romans chapter 5 verse 20 says, but as people sin more and more, God's wonderful grace became more abundant. You will never exhaust the grace of God. You'll never get to a God who says, man, I don't got anything for you on that one. He will always look at you and say, I have more grace. And the beauty of God's abundant grace for us is it doesn't give us license to say, well, gosh, I'll just go sin as much as I can. If God loves to forgive and I love to sin, well, this is going to be a great relationship. It actually says when I bring my sins to God and I experience his forgiveness and his grace, it's that same grace that frees me from the same sin that I've been hiding. It's that same grace that overwhelms me. It's how could I go back to that place? How could I keep that hidden? How could I be that as my center when his grace is so much more? So the way that you and I will cultivate faithfulness is keeping Jesus at the center of all things all the time. And faithfulness is going to mean guarding our hearts from all that would turn us away from him. So if there's something turning you away from him, bring it to God today. Bring it to him. Um, I'm going to share with you one more point uh, before we close. Uh, but I'll ask a question um, and hope to explain this even further. You ever been on a plane? And on the plane, uh, the attendants will say, uh, hey, in case, in case this thing uh, goes down, uh, masks are going to fall. And the first thing that you need to do is what? Yeah, you need to put your mask on, right? The advice is not, hey, you need to put on other people's masks, run around and take care of everyone else first uh, before first most important thing that you can do on a plane that's going down outside of prayer is put your mask on you. Well, why is that? Well, it's pretty simple. If you're unconscious, you can't do anything to help anybody. There's nothing you could do to help the people that are around you if you're completely unconscious. And far too often, we think about all the other junk in people's lives. And we think, gosh, I, I need to help them. I need to help point out to them what they clearly don't see as really darkness in their own hearts. And we do everything we possibly can to point it out to them, to kind of be the junior Holy Spirit in their life and be like, well, you know, I need to help remind you of what you clearly don't see. But what scripture says is, no, deal with you first. Put the mask on first. Deal with hard-heartedness, dark, whatever it might be, deal with it first. Because the third way that you and I will be able to be faithful uh, to Jesus together is we help one another remain faithful to him. But we can't help one another if we have not done it ourselves. 
uh, Tully and Chavinjian in his book, Unfashionable, said, until you first feel the grief and anger over your own imperfections, you dare not show your grief and anger over the imperfections of others. And I just love that picture. Until you have wept, until you have grieved, until sorrow has been met by your own sin, how dare we go to somebody else and say, hey, let me point out all the sins in your life that you need to know about. But the beauty is that when we do the heart work, examining our hearts, bringing it to God, God says, well, now I want you to help one another stay faithful. It says in uh, Hebrews chapter 3, verse 13 through 15, you must warn each other every day while it's still today so that none of you will be deceived by sin and hardened against God. For if we are faithful to the end, trusting God just as you, uh, just as uh, firmly as when he, we first believed, we will share in all that belongs to Christ. Remember what it says today, when you hear his voice, don't harden your hearts as Israel did when they rebelled. Again, a lot could be said about those few verses, but we help one another remain faithful to him. You must warn each other every day while it's still today so that none of you has hardened hearts that walk away from him that have hearts and lives that remain unfaithful to him. Now, I'm thankful for social media. Um, I make use of it as best as I can, whether Twitter or Facebook or Instagram or any other uh, medium. But the danger with social media is we present a picture of ourselves that's often not truly reflective of who we are. Uh, when we do things on social media, we want people to think, of us as clever, as witty, as funny, as cute, as charming, as wise, all of these things. And we'll always, generally speaking, present our best to people. Why? Because that's our way of keeping people in our lives at a distance. But if we would actually help one another remain faithful to him, and scripture says we need to do that, we need to warn each other today, every day, not just once in a while, but it says every day. Today, if you hear the voice of God, we need to help each other. So I guess my last question for us this morning would be this. Who's helping you today get closer to God because they actually know where you really are? Who in your life is helping you today to get closer to God tomorrow because they know? They know you. They don't know the digital you. They know the real you. They know the heart you. They know the mask-free you. They just know you for who you are and where you are, not pretending to be something else or someone else. So who is helping you today get closer to God because they actually know where you really are? Who in your life is helping you to hear his voice today so that tomorrow your heart would not be hardened towards God? When I read Hebrews chapter 3 in these few verses, what it screams to me is that none of us here can go it alone. None of us here can go the way of isolation. None of us here can just check off, hey, I did a Sunday thing, I heard a message, I sang a few songs, uh, and go on our own way. What this text screams to me is you need me in your life just as much as I need you in my life. We need one another to be fully known. So that we can help one another remain faithful when we're bailing, when we're going the wrong way. We need someone in our life who knows us and cares and loves us enough to say, I love you enough to warn you today. Listen to the voice of God in your life and do not go where you're planning on going. 
Do not continue walking in the direction and the path you're continuing to walk. So who knows you like that? If today you sit here and you're like, man, no one knows me like that. My heart hurts for you because it's not supposed to be like that. And how dare we as a church allow that to exist? See, we're not just this event you come to. We're supposed to be a community where you can say, Michael, the list is long. I got a lot of people who not only know me, not my digital me, but my real me, and they love me, and they're challenging me, and they're encouraging me, and they're inspiring me to keep trusting in God, to keep remaining faithful to God. And so if you're here today and you feel alone, you feel in isolation, you feel the Lone Ranger, my encouragement to you would simply be this. Go to someone here today and say, would you be willing to begin a journey with me so I could get known and I could begin to get, get known by you? And you're like, Michael, that will never happen. That is so not my personality. It might not be your personality, but neither is living alone. That's not how God intended you to live. And so it might require you taking steps to allow somebody else to come into your life. Far too many times we wait for other people and it just doesn't happen. And so the challenge, the encouragement would be, please take a step today. Say, I want to get known. Join a community group. That's a great first step. Begin serving. That's another good step. Just pull someone aside today and say, could you just pray with me while we're going to spend some time in worship? Would you be willing to pray with me? If you and I would remain faithful, then we're going to keep Jesus at the center all the time. He is the center, non-negotiable, all the time. If we would remain faithful, then we're going to deal with our heart. We're going to deal with the sins that we often hide and bring them into the light so God can say, I love you and I forgive you. You're free. And if we would remain faithful uh, to Jesus, then we got to help one another remain faithful to him.